I'll be reading from Acts 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. We're happy to have David Kelly here. I think we've heard from him once before, maybe twice before. And he's got quite a sermon for us, I think. Have you read the title? It says, May the dust of your rabbi's feet lay heavy on your chest. I want to find out what that's all about, don't you, David? I don't know how long this one's going to be tonight. Today, I uh, started acquiring a cold last night or sometime in the day yesterday. So, bear with me, please. But, um, yeah. Wow. It's made of dirt. Have your rabbi lay heavy on your chest? That's huge. What does that mean? Um... I want to kind of look back in history, though, first, because that might bring out a little bit of understanding. Um, I love Christian history. I love Christian history from the very beginning of the first century. You know, um, I uh, I started studying it, um, I think, two or three quarters ago in PUC, but um, I got a D. <laughs> I got a D in Christian history. It's like... My my teacher was like, how did you... I, mean, I saw him last summer, and and I was like, you know, I got a D in your class. And he's laughing, talking, what? You got a D? How did you get a D? It's like, nobody gets a D in my class. And he's like, you need to go check that out. So I go and look, yeah, I got a D. And I kept emailing him, got a D, I got a D. And finally he saw me at church one time, and he's like, yeah, I don't know what you did. You're a glue head. You must have done something because... I don't know how you got a D, but I love Christian history. It's, it's, uh, and I don't understand why I got a D. We still can't. That's just a, a mystery to all of us, I guess. But um, the reason why I love Christian history so much is, uh, it well, well, first, th- this book right here is our Christian history. This this book right here galvanizes our understanding, the proof that. That um, people back then believed in God, and and they tell it through our, their stories, and they tell it through their history and their accounts. And to say that this stuff didn't happen would be foolish, because you know there's lots of evidence in archaeological archaeological findings um, all throughout the Middle East that proves that um, these people did go through a lot of these things, and that there is possibility. That miracles do happen, and we see it every day in our lives. Um, so that's that's why I love Christian history. It's the fuel that that it fuels the truth in the faith in God. Without it, you know, we wouldn't be able to look back and say that there's something there that we can look upon. Um, so with that, that that truly galvanizes our faith. And what we have seen and unseen. Um, why don't you guys take a, a gander and open your Bibles up to Second Corinthians. Um, 
in verse or in chapter four, verses seven. Let's look at that. It says in Second Corinthians, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, and I'm sure everyone knows this very well, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. It's the unseen. It's the uh, it's the unseen that shows us that we have strong faith in God. Um, how much faith do we really have in the unseen? When for the future, sometimes we forget what guides us and who guides us. But it doesn't have to be that way. It, it can be um, our our faith can be so much stronger if we just let them. But we always have these obstacles that Satan loves to throw in front of us. Um, now, if we look in, in chapters um, in Matthew chapter fourteen, verses twenty-five, this is where it basically all starts. Where I want to get started. Um, it says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him. On the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So why was Peter even attempting to... Um, why, why, was, why was... If you know the whole story, um, Jesus started walking out on the water. And, um, and Peter was terrified. It's like, well, what's going on here? Um... And so Peter wanted to walk out on the water with him. Well, why would he even think about attempting to do that? Um, why would he even be scared to think it's a ghost? You know, if if he knew it was his it was his rabbi, then um, maybe he'd have a different understanding about it. Um, but if we can look back at the history of why the disciple had such little faith, you got to remember. Okay, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi of the first century. In the Galilee. And being a Jewish faith. All the Galileans believed that God had spoken to Moses. And that God had given him the first five books of the Bible. This was called the Torah. Which means the teaching or the way. The Torah was the center of the lives of the main focus of the educational system. Most kids would go to school about the age of six. And they would learn the Torah. Taught in a local synagogue by a local Torah teacher who was the rabbi. This, this educational system, starting from six years of age, was called Beit Safari. Beit Safari lasted until the age of about ten. By ten, you would have memorized all five books. Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Genesis, word for word. By this time, the children, most of them, though, by the, by the time they were 10, after they had learned all that, they would go back to their family's apprenticeship. They would go back to their business. And most of them wouldn't go to school anymore. It's a lot different back then than it was right now. Um, but the best of the best would go on and further their education. And this was called the Beit Talmud. 
um, those with this natural ability to be able to memorize all five books word for word. And if the rabbis could notice that there was a natural ability for this child, they would further on with Beit Talmud. Um, so then they would study all of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, word for word. Memorized, which is huge. So by 14 or 15, most of the children would have learned the family trade. But the best of the best of the best would further on their education. And they would apply for um, for the rabbi. And this was called Beit Medrash, which means that they would apply to the rabbis as a disciple. Not just a person who is taught and knows what that teacher knows, but they wanted to be like that rabbi. And um, it was far deeper than what any other teaching was about. Um, it was to do what the rabbi did. And each rabbi had a different interpretation of the, of the Torah. Just like we see in Christianity today with, with so many different denominations. It was the same back then with the Jewish rabbis. They had different interpretations of the Torah. Um, one might take a verse or a command and say, that's what it means in this verse to obey or command a, uh, a command of God. But other might say something different. But you would take on that interpretation of what your rabbis say. And that interpretation was called a yoke. So the student would want to take that rabbi's yoke upon him. Which is... So in, in, or, in order to become a rabbi, you would have to be the best of the best of the best. And so you'd say, I, Rabbi, I want, I want to know what you know. I want to do what you do. And that rabbi would, would say, well, I'm going to grill this guy. And he would grill him and ask questions about the Torah. He would ask questions about the, um, about the prophets and about the oral traditions. You you would just go through all kinds of grilling. And, and if you weren't good enough, he would tell you, you know, you need to go back home. But he would be asking these questions to see if, can this kid, can, can he sit in front of me? Can this kid do what I can do? Um, can this kid spread my yoke? Um, does this kid have, a, have what it takes to be a rabbi? Um, some, some of the rabbis would say, well, you know, I, I think that you're, you, you love God and, and you're, you're great, you know, and you, you know the Torah, but um, I think you should go back to your family trade. Um, but if the rabbi really liked you and he thought you were one of the best of the best of the best, he would say, come follow me. So you would leave your friends, you'd leave your family, you leave your synagogue. You'd leave your village. At 14 or 15, you would do all this. You'd leave everything to be a disciple. You'd devote your life to this rabbi. If you look in Matthew chapter 11, <clears throat> and uh, in verse 28, see, J Jesus had it different though. You know, what I'm trying to get at, okay, so this human idea of being a rabbi, being the best of the best, 
in order to be what the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw as what you needed to be. It's it's strikingly um, ironic how Jesus says, No, come to me. All of you have who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But this is what it was to be a disciple. So a powerful rabbi, you you go back to, to, to the Sea of Galilee here, and this powerful rabbi comes into town. He's really powerful. And he's got this ragtag disciples behind him, trying their best to follow him. You know, here it is. Jesus is walking through the Sea of Galilee and and these these 12 disciples are um, trying their best to, to do and be and do everything like him. At the end of the day, um, the disciples who were following their rabbis in this hot, dusty, dirty roads all day long, they would have... Whatever your rabbi walked in you would, would end up on your clothes everywhere, all over you. You, you would be caked in whatever he was walking in. So the, the same for that time in, 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 the, in, in the first century um, through the wise men and, and uh, the Sadducees and all was that they would, they would say, um, you know, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That's what they would tell their disciples. Because that meant that you really were devoted in following him. And uh, everybody knew this. This all, this all was an understanding throughout the whole area of, of Galilee. Most rabbis at that time started um, teaching at the age of 30 for their chosen few. They started looking for their disciples at about age 30. Jesus also in the Bible it says that you know um, at about the as we know as, at about the age of thirty um, he he also was was looking for his disciples and he comes across Peter and Andrew who are fishermen just fishermen now um, Matthew chapter four in uh, verse eighteen. Um, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting nets in the lake, and they were fishermen. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishermen of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Okay, so doesn't that just turn everything upside down? You know, all the rabbis would search for these kids at age six, you know, Get these kids prepared all the way till they're 14 and 15. They would have to be the best of the best of the best. But here, Jesus goes walking right down to the shores and finds these ragtag fishermen and says, Hey, come follow me. And they drop their nets. Why? Why would they do that? I mean... They're they're nothing. They're absolutely. They didn't obviously. They didn't learn because if they would have learned, you know, the Torah and Beit Midrash and Beit Talmud and all these others, they they wouldn't have been there fishing. They wouldn't have been there as apprentice. As it is, um, you you go further down um, 
in the verses. And it says, going through there, he also saw other two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in the boats with their father. So you know that they were apprenticed of fishers. They were, they were fishermen apprenticed. They had nothing to do with any kind of rabbis. But yet, Jesus comes to you and says, come follow me. We're all ragtag. Jesus' teaching is for the young, the old, the uneducated, and the educated, for men and women. And that's why when you look in Acts chapter 4, they were astonished when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished that they that they had been with these that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. Um, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were walking through the temple and they saw this crippled man. And they said, I can do what Jesus did. I can heal a crippled man too. This guy asked them for money. Please help me. I can do better than that because I followed my rabbi. I have the dust still to this day on my front, on my chest. Um, and what does he do? He heals that man. That man walked with him. I can, I can, I just pictured it. I can picture this guy with bony legs. Doesn't even know how to walk, but he's jumping. Yay! I can just imagine that, you know, and people going, what is this? What is this? So in order for them, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together and they asked each other, um, what do we do about these men? Everybody in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we can't deny it. But stopping this thing would spread even further among the people. We must warn these men to speak no longer. Oh, see how everything we do just turns everything upside down, what Jesus says we should be doing? You know? Why? Um, Ellen White um, spoke about this too um, in the Acts of the Apostles. When the disciples heard first heard the words of Christ, they felt the need of Him. Mm. They felt the need of Him. They sought, they found, they followed Him. They were with Him in the temples, at the table, on the mountainside, in the fields. They were as pupils with a teacher, daily receiving from Him lessons of eternal truth. After the Savior's ascension, the sense of the divine presence, full of love and light, was still with them. In Acts. It was a personal preference. It was a personal presence. Jesus the Savior who had walked and talked and prayed with them, who had spoken hope and comfort to their hearts, had while the message of the peace was upon his lips, had been taken from them into heaven. As the chariots of angels received him, his words had come to, the, come to them, Lo, I am with you always, even till the end. These were, this was a B-team, ragtag bunch of losers. Look at Matthew. He was hated, hated through the community because he was a tax collector. He was nothing. 
The worst person you could be was a tax collector. <laughs> and, and Jesus didn't go and look for the best of the best. So back to that boat of nobodies. <laughs> um, Peter, Peter says in, in, um, in, in Matthew chapter um, in Matthew chapter 14 in verse 28. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come with you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Why, why would he even want to go out in the water in the first place? You know, um, some, some say, you know, he wanted to be like his rabbi. He knew that he could do exactly what his rabbi was doing. He could go out there himself. Um, some people say, though, that he lost his own faith in himself. I was schooled last night and told, you might want to look at that again. And I thought about that. And I went, oh, wow. You know, the problem is, is that if you look through the scriptures entirely, and you, you read what Jesus says um, and what people do to Jesus. Um, they're always not faithful to Jesus. They're, they're, no, I'm, I take that back. They're not, it's not that they're not faithful. They don't have faith in Jesus. Lots of people just doubt him and doubt him. Because Jesus asked him immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why do you doubt? That, that's where it ends. So doubt Who? Yourself or Jesus? I think maybe it is Jesus. If you would, if you would have put your faith and not doubt Jesus, you wouldn't have doubt in yourself. But he wanted to walk on water too because you know he thought that Jesus, he could be just like him. But it was Peter's boastfulness. That helped him sink. And but the love of these dirty rags and a bunch of useless nobodies, his faith we can all take advantage of. In us. You know, Jesus has faith in us. Just imagine if we had just as much faith in Jesus as much as he has in us. I mean, think about it. He took a bunch of ragtag losers, useless, even one that was gonna put him on the cross. Pay 30 cents or whatever, 30 silver coins to put him on the cross. And he still believed in them. That's believed in you. He believes in you, all of you. You're not rabbis. You're not the best of the best of the best. But Jesus still has faith in you. I think that's a miracle. What if we could do that? Um, Pastor Kaler had, had told me a long time ago about a story. Um, uh, John, the, one of the disciples, you know, the one of the fishermen, um, after Jesus had died, this is years and years later, in his later times, um, he, had, he had some students. He had one particular student. And this wasn't in the Bible. I don't know where he got this from. But it was really a beautiful story. Um, that, that John had a student that he, that he started... Here we go again, as a six-year-old, and raised him up. 
And uh, he took him away from his home and he just schooled him and schooled him. And um, John got older and got older and handed him over to somebody else that was a disciple of the time. And that disciple started schooling this child. And so John went through his life, you know, as an older, older person. But um, he, he felt so urged about that child. He's like, wow, you know, I wonder how he's doing. Um, one day, John was walking on a road and there was this big, humongous group of thieves. And they came and ransacked him and robbed him and beat him. And, um, but he saw the leader. And he saw who it was. It was his old student. And he had left. And he had beaten John down. He didn't even know it was John. And he had stolen everything from him. And so John felt the urge to go back to that teacher and say, Why? Why Why did you let him go? What happened? And the teacher's like, I don't know, just one thing after another. And I just kind of lost track of him. And... And he just felt the urge, I need to go back and go find him. So he lived with those robbers and those thieves for months at a time. And the robbers and the thieves were very weary of him, but they, they felt the, the sense of, of love and compassion from John. And so they let him in. And then he took the leader of the, of the, of the robbers back with him and schooled him again. Not a rabbi. He was nothing. He was a thief. And John knew that he could be like his rabbi. I told you that this was going to be a, a, a short one. <laughs> um, but this is something that you all can learn from. That you know, what, did, what did Jesus say? The last thing that he said is go make more disciples. You know, We don't have to be... Um, Rabbis, we don't have to be the best of the best of the best. That's Jesus' job, right? Thank you. Because Jesus is the one, it's going to be the best of the best of the best. But we can still have his dust on our, on our hearts, laying heavy on our chest to remind us, no matter who you are, any one of you, no matter where you are in your life, you have something to bring forward to the table. That you can help somebody along, including yourself, if you give it to the Lord. If you give it to Jesus and walk behind Him fruitfully all the time, nonstop. Get dirty with Jesus. Get that muck on your chest so you know what He has so you could be just like Him.